Well, good morning. We have arrived at the conclusion of this series I'm calling Every Member. And as Rebecca pointed out, this is uh, related to, connected to, a research project I'm doing uh, in pursuit of my uh, doctorate. So, uh, one more sermon feedback form, and then next week, I'm going to ask you all to take one last survey. It's sort of a overarching, a comprehensive survey, sort of a post-project survey. Uh, the project is going well because you all are participating so well. So thank you uh, very much for participating. So this week, the sermon feedback form. Next week, one last survey. We've come to this series. Really, it's a series about uh, identity. Your identity, I hope your own sense of vocation, your own sense of calling as a Christian, I hope you feel it elevated to biblical heights. I hope that you're taking, because of this series, I hope you're taking more joy in who you are as a believer. I hope that you're, you, you know, you, you take great joy in knowing or being reminded that as a child of God, you all collectively, the believers of First Baptist are disciples, apprentices of Jesus, right? That collectively, y'all are a royal priesthood with access to God. That you're an alien, you're not home yet, exile, stranger. You've been given a gift. And if that's what it means to be a charismatic, then every Christian is a charismatic. That we are members, we're all part of one body, the body of Christ, and that we're witnesses. And last week we talked about a witness. You know, if you feel led... To witness uh, that you're going to do what? You're going to tell the truth about what you've seen and heard. So this is heady stuff. I mean, what do you do with all this? Here this is identity. You know, here you're, you're being told you're a member of God's royal priesthood. You have special access to God, that you're his beloved child, that you're an a, a, a alien and, and a witness for him and a member of the body. What do you do with all this stuff? Well, here's what not to do. What not to do is what Jesus' original disciples did just before Palm Sunday. You know, we're, we're a couple Sundays out from Palm Sunday now. Well, here's what they did the original Palm Sunday, the original triumphal entry. He's been teaching the disciples who they are, and there's this scene in Matthew when uh, 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 the disciples start to jockey for position. They realize who they are in Christ. Hey, you know, we're, we're going in triumphal entry. Hey, this is looking pretty good. So James and John's mama comes to Jesus and says, hey, grant me this request. What? When you get into your kingdom, because I know you're on the up. I mean, you're, you're, you're taking off, Jesus. This is going to be big. When you get in your kingdom, yeah, let one of my sons uh, sit on your right and one on your left. When you get in your kingdom. The other disciples hear that, and they are furious. Why? That they didn't think of it. Where was their mamas looking out for them, huh? And so they said, well, no, I should be first. Maybe I should be first. Jesus said, are, are you kidding me here? He says, the greatest among you. This is how he corrects him in Matthew 20. He says, don't you know, the greatest among you must be your, do you remember this word? Servant. Good. He says, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Do you remember how that's translated in 1611? In the King James Bible, I want to make a point here. The word for serve is translated because it's the same English word. The Greek word is uh, uh, diakono, so we get the word deacon, servant, okay? But here's how the King James translates Matthew 20, uh, the, son, uh, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He says this, the greatest among you must be your, they use the exact same word, English words change over time, but the word servant, they say the greatest among you must be, uh, sorry, whoever wants to be great must be your minister. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to minister, uh, to be ministered to, but to minister. Now, what's my point? That serve and minister mean the same thing. To be a servant is to be a minister. To be a minister is to be a servant. That means the exact same thing. That is the same word. So if we ended this series with every member a servant, I think everybody would be like, we know that. We all know we're supposed to serve. We know that. But let's put some, let's use the same word here, and let's end with this. Maybe get your attention. Every Christian is a, is a minister. Every member a minister. Let's, that'll be the title of our last one here. Every member a minister. Now let me ask you, do you uh, typically view yourself as a minister? Is that how you view ministers? Is that what comes to mind when you talk about the work of the ministry? Who does the work of ministry? What exactly is the work of ministry? I would venture to guess that most of us limit the word minister to like pastors, you know? Or or maybe missionaries or like traveling evangelists, maybe seminary professors. But, you know, that's about it. Professional, you know, professional Christians, so to speak. That's about it. Well, why wouldn't you say, let me push back, why wouldn't you say that every member is a minister? I think it's because most folks, probably without thinking too deeply about it, just assume there's got to be an essential difference between clergy and lay people. The laity, lay persons. If you're not familiar with that term, a lay person is sort of a, a religious term, church term, that means an unordained Christian. A believer, faithful Christian, just hasn't been ordained, lay person. So, You've got ordained pastors and evangelists, missionaries. We would say, these are the ministers, and there's an essential difference between them and lay people. And I, 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 people don't so much express this as they sort of, um, or, or, or they don't formalize this as much as they sort of express it, that there is just a difference between a minister and a lay person. People feel that way, and they show it most of all through the awkwardness that ha- happens when people who don't know I'm a pastor find out I'm a pastor. <laughs> They've been hanging out. It's just been normal and fun, and suddenly, yeah, what do you do? I'm a preacher. Oh, and they start to think back, what have I said? <laughs> they get nervous. I walk into a crowded restaurant. Everything's boisterous, and what do they say? Uh-oh. Preacher's here, clean up your language, you know, straighten, straighten up and act right. And just as an aside, like it's always this petty stuff. Like this, this has nothing to do with the sermon. This is just an aside. It's always this petty stuff. Like when the preacher walks in, uh-oh, straighten up, clean up your language. Nobody's ever like, the preacher's here. Everyone examine your deep heart motives and find out if you're really loving God or you have idols and just moral, you know, uh, uh, self-righteousness. Everybody examine the deep levels of your heart. No one ever says that, you know. I would even settle for, preacher's here. Quick, feed the poor, you know. You know. Nobody ever, like, I, I, nobody ever says, the preacher's here. Everybody get ready to feel built up and encouraged. You know what I mean? It's just, oh, no, just quit cussing. My, my favorite, and I'll stop, my favorite is I was, I was uh, in New York, and I was playing basketball. It was a little street pickup game of street ball, 
and uh, with these uh, a couple of guys, and I'd met them uh, several times before, and, and they were two young guys, older teenagers, and they were getting in an argument, and one of them, and it got heated, and they're right in front of me, you know, and one of them goes, that's a lie. He goes, you, ju- you can't do that. He goes, you just, you cannot lie in front of the preacher. <laughs> now, the implication there, of course, is it's totally okay to lie, just not in front of that dude. Right? I've got a holiness sort of lie detector. It, okay. Back to the sermon. 99% of the time, folks are just being funny. I don't take any of it to heart. I'm never offended by it. I think folks just get nervous, and they can't think of anything to say, and so they're funny. That's okay. But at a deeper level, I do think we operate with this assumption that there's an essential difference between the minister and the layperson, and some theologians even assert that. Uh, There's a quote, for example, by Thomas Oden. I think he's a a Methodist theologian, I, I, I think. There exists, he writes, thin as a hair, but hard as a diamond, a difference between ordained ministry and the faithful layperson. In other words, he says there's a line. It's thin. It's thin as a hair, but it's there. It's hard as a diamond between a layperson and ordained ministry. But is he right? Is there a difference? And if so, what is that difference? Here's what's at stake. This is why this sermon matters. This is why I want you to pay attention through all this. I, I, I think what's at stake is how you view your own sense of calling and vocation. What's at stake is your own purpose in the grand kingdom of God. If it is true that pastors are the only quote-unquote ministers, and that makes lay people the ministry, then we need to radically change the way the church operates. In this model, which I reject, In this model, if there's an essential difference, meaning ministers minister and lay people receive the ministry, you are now to be an utterly passive consumer of religious goods. See? Now, in this model, I dispense the religious goods, you receive the religious goods, and you pay for them through tithe and attendance. And if another dispenser of religious goods, if another, if another church in the marketplace has a cooler music or a, a better preacher or whatever, then you go and you receive your religious goods from there. That's how that model works. You see how that's toxic. You see how that's not the heart of God. That's not what he desires for a community of believers. On the other hand, if I'm right, what he desires every member a minister, that every member ministers, then a church is going to function differently. Ministers then active in their workplaces, in their homes, in the way they raise children, in how they do retirement. And yes, of course, as they serve in the church. But the point is they see their everyday lives, the work they do, paid or unpaid, as ministry. And whether they eat or drink or whatever they do, they do all for the glory of God. Set free, folks set free to use their spirit-given gifts. That's the vision of every member ministry. And that is what God desires. So there's a lot riding on the question, who are the ministers? At this or any church, who are the ministers? Well, thankfully, we're not the first Christians to wrestle with this. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The apostle Paul is dealing with this very issue. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. 
He starts, as you'll see in verse 1, he starts with the matter of calling. Starts with the matter of calling. What do I mean by that? The most common thing I hear is, well, you know, all joking aside, the real difference is that ministers, quote-unquote ministers, receive a call on their life, and the rest of us don't. That's the difference. I never received a call for ministry. Well, I would agree with you, first of all, that ministers are called. So if you're a note taker, it's going to be three of these. There's the first one. Ministers are called. Okay. So maybe, maybe that's the difference then. Maybe the issue is one of calling. And some people think, yeah, only pastors or perhaps missionaries or evangelists receive a call on their life. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about that. Ephesians 4, start in verse 1. I therefore, now this is Paul, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. <clears throat> we won't take time right now to go into this, but that may be one of the heaviest therefores in the whole Bible. He has taken three chapters in Ephesians to tell those beloved church members who they are in Christ. And he talks about how they have every spiritual blessing in Christ. He doesn't tell them to do a thing. In fact, the only imperative verb in the first three chapters of Ephesians is remember. Remember what he's done. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. I mean, all that stuff is in Ephesians. Look at what God has done. Look at what God's done for you. That's who you are. That's who you are. I, therefore, right, in light of all that you are, you're a disciple, you're a priest, you're an alien, you're charismatic, you're a member, you're a witness, you're a minister. In light of all that, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, and here our translators, of course, let us down. He's saying with great emphasis, with great urgency, I urge you, but it's, it's really you, it's second person plural. I urge y'all. And one day, we really, we should all agree to make a southern translation of the New Testament epistles so we can figure out when it's you and when it's y'all. You know, I think that that would really help us. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge y'all. <laughs> In fact, I realize some of you wouldn't be clear that it's not just y'all, it's all y'all. Yeah. So I tried to make that clear in, in writing it up here. I urge all y'all, every believer, urge all y'all to what? Here it is. To walk in a manner worthy of the, oh, calling to which you've been called. I'm sorry, go back. Was that just for preachers or was that for all y'all? So if, you, if you're keeping track with the sermon, you just said it. What that means is all y'all got the call. Everybody clear? That's for everybody. That's for every believer. That is for every Christian. That is for every blood-bought child of God. You, that's your calling to which all y'all have been called. The call of God. One, oh, one of the great tragedies over the centuries is that we have tended as Christians to narrow the use of this term called. It gets narrower and narrower until we mean just pastors or maybe missionaries. No, no, no. The, first of all, the call, uh, we'll talk about pastors and missionaries, but the the call of God means by his mercy, by his grace alone, God has called you, Christian, out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the call on your life is absolutely a call to salvation and service and sacrifice and simplicity and surrender. The calling is not a special call for pastors but not lay people. Not that one. It's for all believers. Missionaries, yes, but school teachers, yes, farmers, retirees, wherever a Christian finds themselves. All y'all got the call. Now, there, 
There would be 10 or at least maybe a dozen places we could go to in the New Testament. I'll, I'll just show you one. But just know this is a representative sample. Look at the writer of Hebrews. He's not talking to preachers. He's talking to all believers. Look at Hebrews 3.1. Just put it up here. You don't have to turn that. Just put it up one verse. We'll, we'll go back to Ephesians. I'm just trying to illustrate. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, you, you all share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And he goes on. Here, here's my point. And I, we could have done a lot more. There's no elitism and no clergy-laity divide when it comes to calling. Okay, part of the confusion, now let's, let's go back to Ephesians, let's think about it. Part of the confusion is that we pastors and missionaries, we, and I, I certainly felt this as a teenager, felt compelled, after I'd been saved, I then felt compelled to serve the church through my professional vocation. It was unmistakable. In another sermon, if God wills at, a, at another time I'll share with you my own sense of com compulsion to be a preacher okay and pastors should sense that that's a good thing that's fine the confusion is sometimes we call that and only that God's call on your life and if we're not careful we think that that's what calling means when we see it in the Bible not true so perhaps an illustration will help bunch of kids are playing out in uh, in the evening and now it's getting dark well now it's staying light later I didn't think about that but okay so getting late getting dark outside and uh, supper is ready and mama has prepared a wonderful supper and so she stands out on the front porch and what is what does she do she yells she calls she calls kids supper's ready and you're listening you know for your name maybe and she's or maybe she's going through all of them at any rate she calls out and you come in notice you come out of darkness into light and there's a beautiful table that's been set. Now, once you come in, specific instructions are given out, are sometimes barked out, sometimes lovingly told. Either way. These instructions are given out. And they're specific to each kid. Some instructions are for everybody. All y'all wash up. Because you've all been called, you all got to get clean. See? Holiness. Okay? That's for everybody. Other instructions are specific, and they're based on the age or the giftedness or the availability or whatever of the particular kid, right? So sometimes, all the kids are called. Everybody wash up. Everybody do this. But then, but then you, okay, you, you fill up the water glasses. Good. And you, you're, you're, you're young, and, and you're not too ready to handle uh, the big stuff, but you can go get the forks. You can go get the forks and bring them to the table. You, you're a little older. You can get the knives. And you, you can get the casserole. Ooh, that involves potholders. Okay? That in, that's seriously, right? So we're barking out orders, and we're giving specific instructions to each kid. Now, if we ask the kid, were you called tonight? They'd say, of course we were called. What would they say their call was? My call was to gather a fork and to place a napkin. No, they'd say, I got called to dinner. And the specific tasks that were then given out were to bless everybody. Can you imagine if a kid, you know, mama says, all right, I, I need you to lay out the silverware. The kid goes and gets just enough silverware for himself. That's not what mama meant, is it? No, and that, and that goes back, think about it, the body, right? Just because some parts were, were, were given specific instruction, it's for the benefit, it's for the edification of the entire body. Now, what does it feel like to get that specific instruction? I, you know it. For some, it's dramatic. For me, I, I, I suppose it was, it was pretty compelling. 
Um, but I want you to take courage. Not everyone will feel a dramatic sense of, of God appointing you almost like a compulsion to be a missionary or a teacher or a janitor or a truck driver or whatever. And let me give you some encouragement. If you're here today and you're a young person and you are really struggling with this issue of vocation and you are struggling, you're a faithful Christian and you're just struggling, you're crying out, God, what, I don't want to miss it. What am I supposed to do? You're struggling with what you're going to do with your life. Listen to me. Rest assured, there are plenty of faithful Christian men and women who are right now in their 40s and 50s and 60s who right now are still wondering what they're going to do when they grow up. That's okay. That's okay. They're, they're, that's just fine. Because along the way, they've realized their true calling is to walk worthy, Ephesians 4. It's to walk worthy wherever they find themselves, in career or home or family. And that's okay. So everybody see that? It's okay. Your, your, your calling was to salvation, was calling ultimately not to a place. It was to a person, to Jesus Christ. Then some of you, because of your giftings and because of the community of faith gathered around you, and they're able to say, hey, have you ever considered this? Some, you, maybe you had a good teacher or a good pastor or, or somebody, a Sunday school teacher who was able to draw that out of you, and it dawned on you, you might be good at this. God may be leading you or appointing you to serve the body in a particular way. That's great. That's not always for pastors or ministers or missionaries. Excuse me, pastors or missionaries. Some people feel a sense of this compelling of being appointed, and they're not pastors and missionaries. Johnny Cash was once interviewed. I listened to it this week. And he was asked, since he was known for his faith, the interviewer asked him, hey, did you ever consider being a preacher? His reply was, was great. He said, no, because pre you know. <laughs> He said, uh, no, because preachers are called to preach, and I wasn't. And I thought, oh, he missed it. You know, doesn't he see ever? But then he followed it. He got me. He said, no, I wasn't. I was called to perform. He said, no doubt about it. And every night, I'm absolutely, at every one of my shows, I'm going to do at least one gospel song. I can't not do a gospel song. It's in my bones. As a child on a cotton farm in the drudgery, it's that gospel good news that lifted me above that black dirt. He said, I guess you could say music ministers to people. Johnny Cash gets it. <laughs> he would say, I'm a minister. That's it. We're all called by God, called out of darkness into light. We're all called to wash up. We're all called to live a life worthy of the calling. And we're all given tasks we're well-fitted and gifted to do. Sometimes it aligns with your job, the way you get your paycheck. Sometimes not as much. Doesn't matter. You're a minister. From the time we get up to the time we go to bed, we are ministers doing the ministry God's put before us that day. As a wife, a mother, a husband, a nurse, a trucker, a friend, a coworker, a pastor, or a student, you are a minister. I think it's also a little confusing because when we look at the call narratives in the Bible, we, we, we think of them as rare, these rare moments when God calls Abraham, right? Dramatic. God calls Moses through the burning bush. God calls Isaiah in this vision of the temple, and Paul is blinded on the way to Damascus. And so we, we, we think, well, those people were pivotal in salvation history. You know, who, who, what part do I have in salvation history? And those people, it's like, those were rare, and those were great leaders. The rest were just sort of a nameless, faceless mass of Hebrew, you know, of Israelite slaves. Well, to the first objection, that you're not important in salvation history, 
If you lead somebody to Christ, I'd say you're pretty important in their salvation history. I'd say you made an eternal difference in their life. And as for the second objection, well, these were, these were special people. The rest were just nameless, faceless, sort of massive Israelites. You're limiting God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's no such thing as a faceless, nameless Israelite to God Almighty. He's on a first-name basis with every one of them. Why can't he have? Just because they're not recorded in Scripture because the whole world wouldn't have room for the amount of books it would take to write it down, why can't we assume that every single Israelite had that close personal relationship available to them with their Heavenly Father? I hope you see what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to lower the expectations placed on pastors so much as raise everyone else's sense of identity of where the Bible says we're called to be. Now, if you say, okay, fine, but... It, it's more than that. Pastors and missionaries and preachers are different because I, well, I guess it's something else. Well, what? Well, I don't want to say. No, no, say it. What really is the difference? Well, I guess you could say, like, I don't know, they're supposed to be, like, holy, you know? Ministers are held to a high standard of holiness. That's the second. So ministers are called. I think we're all called. Ministers are held, number two, to a high standard of holiness. No pressure. We say, okay, well, what do you mean by holy? Well, I'll be honest. Churches, I, well, give me some example. What, what do you want in your pastor in terms of holiness? Well, I don't know. I mean, for starters, humility, humble. Nobody wants an arrogant pastor. Okay, what else? Well, gentle. What do you mean by that? Well, a lot of preachers, you know, you, don't, you never want to think, man, this guy's so full of judgment. And all he does is judge everybody. You need gentleness, man. It, like, people are really struggling, and, and they don't just need to be beat up. They need to be built up. Okay, so, so far, humility and gentleness. What else? Well, they need to be patient, right? They got to stick around a while. You know, they can't just be in one year and out the next. You know, a, a sense of patience, you know, that it takes a long time to get them mad. You know, you don't want your preacher getting kicked out of every basketball game for screaming at the ref, you know, just every now and then, but not every one, you know patience anything else well yeah I, I think it just comes down to doing life with people over a long time they got to be in it for the long haul they got to bear with people in love okay so just to be clear humility gentleness patience bearing with one another in love well yeah that'd be a good start yeah that'd be holiness okay I want you to know I agree with you those are great qualities of holiness to have in a pastor because there are great qualities of holiness to have in every Christian. Look at the next verse. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 2. With all humility, all y'all, and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You see my point. A life that's been utterly transformed by the love of God can't help but overflow and, and grow in these areas. Who wouldn't want that? If holiness is a burden that God saddles with uh, some people, no wonder. But holiness is not a burden. Holiness is his great gift. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want their kids to grow in that? Who wouldn't want their parents to grow in those areas? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And holiness will set you apart from your culture. That's okay. Remember, you're an alien. You're a winsome weirdo. Now, if you see a pastor sinning, you think, oh, he's not living up to his calling. And you'd be right. But not because he's a pastor, because he's a Christian. He wouldn't be living up to his calling as a Christian, because we're all called. 
I wonder if maybe we do that, if we put pastors maybe on a pedestal as a sort of way to like let ourselves off the hook for personal holiness. You know what I mean? As if to say, I know I mess up. I really messed up, but you know, I ain't no pastor. Well, as in pastors, they have to concern themselves with matters of holiness. Whew, glad I don't have to be humble or gentle or loving. Holiness, you see what we're doing? We're sort of letting ourselves off the hook. Holiness is not a special set of requirements for the spiritual elite. Holiness is God's gift to all his children. Let me make myself clear. Holiness cannot be outsourced to the professionals. Your holiness cannot be outsourced. It's God's glorious plan for each and every one of you. Or look at it the other way around. Look at it the other way around. Holiness is for ministers, and you, all y'all, are ministers. Therefore, be holy. And what happens when every member takes their identity seriously? Look at verse 3. They grow eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Oh, what a beautiful verse. Eager to maintain. Maintain means keep. You know, people, they might say, you know, First Baptist, you guys seem to, you know, things, things, things going well. You know, how are you able to create that love? You can't create love. How are you able to get that unity? You can't get unity. Only the Holy Spirit can give a church unity. All we do is keep it. All we do is maintain it. All we do is maintain it. With what? With living lives that are worthy of our calling. With, 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 with uh, uh, humility and gentleness and bearing with one another in love and patience. And what that does is maintain or keep. Only the Holy Spirit can give you unity. All we do is maintain what he's done in the bond of peace. I hope you see, I'm not trying to downgrade the importance of holiness in the life of ordained clergy. Of course I want our ordained clergy to live holy lives. What I'm trying to do is upgrade the importance of holiness for every believer. Okay, last one. You might say all Christians are called and all are held to the same standard of personal holiness, but there has to be some difference, some essential difference. Maybe, you know what it is? Maybe God talks to preachers and missionaries like in a different way. You know, maybe you have like special access. Okay, make that our third point. Ministers have special access to God. I still laugh when I think about uh, my barber in New York. This guy was into every kind of religion. I, I still am not entirely sure w- what religion he, he finally settled on, kind of all of them. Uh, and uh, when he found out I was a minister, oh, it's all he wanted to talk about. And I'll never forget the day when he said to me, uh, I think he was into Kabbalah at the time. I don't even know what that is. And he said to me, um, so he says, you're a, you're a minister, huh? Cutting my hair. Yeah. Huh. So you know the, uh, you know the prayers he says to me you know the prayers and I'm like yes I know prayers like I you know I, I can talk to God I, yes I, the Lord's prayer you know and then he leans in I'll never forget and he goes no 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 if you're ordained that means you must uh, you must know the secret prayers <laughs> wink Church, I am so sorry to disappoint you. To this day, I I don't know the secret prayers. Because there are no secret prayers. One Lord, one God. And he doesn't have secret prayers for those of you with special access. I, as a pastor, relate to God like every other believer. Look at these verses and count how many times you hear the word one. There is 
one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Could he make it any plainer? This calling, this holiness, this special access to God, it's for you. Every bit as much as much it is for the ordained clergy that you know in your life. If you have had, listen, if you, there's simply no room for a two-tier Christianity. If you've had church planters or missionaries or pastors on a pedestal in your mind, it's not that I'm so much trying to throw them off that pedestal. I'm trying to show it, it, if, if there is a pedestal, it, we're all in the same one. Though really, there's no pedestal at all. There's a cross. And we're called to live a cruciform life, my life for yours. We all have special access to God. So there's no difference between you and your pastor in terms of calling, in terms of holiness, in terms of access. Is there any difference at all? Well, that's where Paul goes next. It's a difference of gifting and function. Look at verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This should sound familiar. We talked about this with every Christian at Charismatic. Verse 8. Therefore, when it says, here he quotes Psalm 68, 18. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. The only thing I would point out about that is uh, when we talk about spiritual gifts, the only thing I didn't think of in the spiritual gifts sermon that I wish I had thought of and I didn't think of until I read this is uh, what it cost, what your gift cost. You know, gifts are costly, right? That's how they're valuable. So you give a gift, it's costly. It didn't occur to me until I read that that I should have said, and that spiritual gift is not just to be used, it's also very precious because it costs the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God. And that's why that gift you've been given is not just a toy, it's a tool to build up the body. At any rate, he descended, verse 9, and in saying he ascended, what does it mean? That he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This reminds me of Philippians 2, right? When when, uh, Christ was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and therefore God has highly exalted him. And then he gives out these gifts, and some of the gifts are appointments. Look at verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. We don't know whether shepherds and teachers are two different things or if it's supposed to be like shepherd teachers, one word. Uh, It's unclear in the original language, so this translation says shepherds and teachers, but in the footnote it even admits it could be shepherd teachers. That, I think, is the difference. If there's a difference, okay, there's a difference in clergy and laity. Listen, it's not a difference of calling. We've established that. We're all called, all y'all. It's not a difference of holiness. All y'all called to holiness. And it's not a difference of special access. There's no, there's no, there's no secret prayers. You have the same access to God as I do. Well, then what is the difference? Well, it's, go back to the body, right? When, when he says apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, they're just different parts of the body, different functions, what are these gifts? The, the, the capital A, apostles. If we think of apostles as in the ones who saw Jesus alive, risen from the dead, and repeated God's word. Well, since we now have the Bible and nothing's going to be added or taken away from the Bible, we don't need apostles in the capital A sense anymore. That office is done. But lowercase a, apostles, just means the sent ones. Right? Those that are sent. And so to be sent across borders, in a way, I think, remember back in the sermon, every Christian is a witness. That's true. Every Christian is a witness. Every member is a witness. But those, there's a special kind of witness that God will appoint to cross borders. 
And a witness who crosses borders is a missionary. See? That's a missionary. It, it, no difference. They're all witnesses, but a difference in function. In this case, a missionary is one who set, set, set out to cross borders. Prophets speak God's word. Evangelists share the gospel clearly. Pastors and teachers are to care for and teach local congregations. So, so, so I'm a minister. I'm just a particular kind of minister who God has appointed to be a pastor shepherd. That's it. You may be a minister that God has appointed to care for grandkids. You may be a minister that God has appointed to be a nurse. You may be a minister that God has appointed to be a, a, a gospel singer on stage with Johnny Cash. Ministers, see? So difference of gifting and function. Okay, fine. So I was given, I was given to the church to teach and to shepherd for what purpose? To do what? Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And there it is. Uh, there's a reason, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll say, hey, good morning, saints, or when I see you in the hallway, hey, saints. And uh, I think it, it may catch people off guard the first couple times they hear it. They go, he ain't talking to me. <laughs> I assure you, right? Whoa, don't be so quick to downgrade what God has called you, right? And if you were to tell me, preacher, I know, listen, I'm a Christian, but I ain't no saint. I would say, well, then, well, then it's the word of God. I'm sorry, Yes, that's who you are. It ain't, it's not up to me, and it's certainly not up to you. It's not up to any of it. it. You're the saints. For what? For the work of ministry. Ah, so a pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And it hit me, the best illustration of this. It hit me. A pastor in the army of the Lord is the quartermaster. I'm the quartermaster. Do you know what a quartermaster is? So I looked this up. In the Army, there's actually a quartermaster's museum. It's different in Navy. A quartermaster has a navigational function or something. But in land armies, the quartermaster goes back, think Old English, the master of the quarters. He made sure you had enough tents and shelters. The worst quartermaster job in history was uh, Valley Forge. They were struggling. They, you know, had to get all these. Why? Because the quartermaster's job is to what? To equip. The quartermaster is not out there in the tank on the front line shooting the tanks. The quartermasters make sure the tanks have enough gas. Make sense? Quartermaster's job is not necessarily to be on the front lines of the infantry. The quartermaster makes sure all those soldiers, their boots fit right. See? They got a place to, to and, 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 they, and they got a, food. They got a, a, a culinary and, and all this, right? Their, their job's to, to feed the troops. They don't fire the tanks. They feed them with gas. Uh, fun fact, the guy in all the James Bond movies who equips James Bond with all his cool gear and gadgets is called Q. That's short for quartermaster. You learn something in every sermon. In the U.S. Army, they are a key to victory. They're not soldiers. So would you say because, well, they, sorry, they are soldiers. But because they're not in combat, would you say they're not important? Who is more important? You'd say we need all, right? We need all the parts. Food is not, food's not going to stop an evil regime from invading. You need fighting soldiers. But soldiers can't fight very long without food, Right? I, I went to the, uh, I, online, I, I, they have a website for the Quartermaster Museum, and they give some of the mottos of the Quartermaster um, regiments and battalions. I thought these were pretty cool. The second Quartermaster group out of Camp Henry, Korea, their motto, fuel line to victory. The 23rd out of Fort Lee, the Corps starts here. The 49th group, fueling the force. The 262nd Battalion out of Fort Lee, lifeline to victory. 266th, the providers. 
pretty cool, right? What are they doing? They're saying, we have a job of equipping. I love this, the flow of victory. And my absolute favorite, the 505th Quartermaster Battalion out of Okinawa, Japan. And they mainly oversee a petroleum pipeline. Their motto, proud to pump. <laughs> they make sure enough fuel gets to these warriors. A quartermaster is a soldier. A pastor is a minister. But what do I do? I equip the saints for the work of ministry. So this week, you feel equipped. You feel encouraged. Last week, I got these incredible phone calls and emails. Thank you to those of you who reached out. Pastor, I was able to witness to this person, and I, I told the truth best I could. It was, I had this great moment. And, and one guy told me that, that he shared that prayer with a group of men, and one guy in that group prayed that prayer. Lord, if you send me somebody, I'll tell the truth. And the next day, he had to pick up somebody who was going through addiction and troubles, and as he was driving, started talking about his relationship with the Lord, and that guy came to Bible study the following night. Here's my point. I'll never reach that guy. I don't know that guy. I could have never reached that person. But I could equip the person who equipped the person who did the work of ministry, see? And in this way, the body is built up. Hmm. Until what? Our musicians can come and just help us meditate on this last verse. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All I want to say about that is notice the Apostle Paul switches back to we. We all attain. That blows me away. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's going, yeah, I'm not there yet. Why? Because I'll never get to full maturity by myself. Neither will you. Neither will I. Maturity is not something an individual Lone Ranger Christian out there with his Bible and his, and his gospel preacher on the, on the YouTube, and, he, and he's just out there all by himself. I don't need nobody else. You'll never reach maturity. No, all of us can reach maturity. We need each other until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Oh, and the stature, the fullness, what's the ultimate goal? Christ. To be a disciple of Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. To be an apprentice of Christ. To be a, a royal priesthood with our high priest is Jesus Christ. To be charismatically gifted by none other than Jesus Christ. To be a member of the body of Christ. To be a witness to tell others the truth about Christ. To be a minister until we look like Jesus Christ. Just like last week, I wanted to do the invitation in a slightly different way. To close out this series and to sort of commemorate all these uh, great marks of identity in the life of a believer, I wrote out a little prayer. It's not a secret prayer. And I wrote it for you. It's called A Prayer for the Believers at Coleman First Baptist Church. And it's really a prayer, a blessing, and kind of a commissioning. Not kind of, it's a commissioning to ministry. And um, if you uh, would be so inclined, um, and if it would help reinforce, you know, I, I just want to pray over you that you're a disciple and that you remember you're an apprentice and so forth, um, and you want to receive this commissioning to ministry, um, I wonder if you would be willing to receive this commission and signify that you'd be willing to receive this commission to ministry as one of the saints. Uh, and I thought this would be a way I could equip you. If you would uh, do that, if you'd stand to your feet to receive this commissioning, would you be willing to do that? 
Are you ready? A prayer for the believers at Coleman First Baptist Church. May God, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, grant that you never forget that you are called to be a disciple and apprentice to Jesus. You are all collectively God's royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices and proclaiming God with direct access to God himself. That you are not home yet. You're called to be an alien, a stranger, an exile, and your highest allegiance will always be to Christ, not Caesar. You're gifted. Oh, uniquely gifted by God through the gifts of the Holy Spirit to serve and build up the body. You are an indispensable member of the body of Christ, and you need never feel superior or inferior to any other part. You are his witnesses to tell the truth about what you've seen and heard, to proclaim his excellencies. And that, in light of all this, you are a minister. May you therefore be commissioned or recommissioned to the ministry. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.